Joshua chapter 4. As we continue our study through the scriptures, we find Israel's about to cross the Jordan River. All two and a half million, that's what it's estimated, that came through the wilderness, two and a half million. And they're going to cross the Jordan River, and the river happens to be at flood stage. It's like God says, I'll make this a little difficult where you'll remember it. (laughs) When you drive south on I-65 and you cross the Tennessee River, that bridge is about two miles long. But the actual river is about half a mile wide. It's estimated that the Jordan River at this flood stage is about a mile wide. And the river's raging because it's in flood stage. The river being beyond its banks, and uh, that can be frightening. We periodically have floods in the United States, and uh, rivers... They can be dangerous. Creeks can be dangerous. We have a small creek that crosses our land, and it's only about 20 feet wide. But when it rains heavily, like Christmas Day, that river became at least 100 feet wide, and it's flowing quite swiftly. Recently, we saw two deer walking up alongside of the river, or creek, looking for a place to cross. And I took a picture of them, but there it is. And the picture didn't do justice. But we have deer trying to cross this raging creek. Can you imagine the fear that was in the heart of the multitude as they're there, they're camped on the banks of the Jordan, and it's in flood stage, and they're waiting to cross it. So consider with me, the river begins to slow down. And in a quick manner, it becomes dry ground. Not muddy, but dry ground. And the priests who carry the ark, they walk out into the deepest part of the river, right in the middle of the river, and then they stand still. And they stand there holding the ark on their shoulders until the entire multitude, all two and a half million, cross the river. And this would be an event you wouldn't soon forget. Today, everybody would be taking selfies, you know, with the, you know, hey, that's the priest in the background, click, you know, and and this kind of thing. And the thing is, God doesn't want Israel to forget this crossing either. So let's read what God says to Joshua for them to remember this crossing. Joshua 4, verses 1 through 8. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm, 
you shall carry them on over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, and Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and they laid them there. Twelve men, from each a man from each tribe, are to take a stone from the riverbed and carry it to the place where they've camped on the other side of the Jordan. Now, you're one of these 12 men. You don't want to have the smallest stone. So you reach over and you grab you a stone. You've got to carry it about a half a mile, so you don't want it to be too big, but you don't want it to be little either. So you got 12 strong men carrying stones. And... Uh, the significance is God wants Israel to remember this crossing. Not only the adults, but the children as well. Remember what the stones mean. And these adults are to explain to their children, because of these stones, the significance of this crossing. It's interesting when the spies went into Rahab the harlot who hid them, she declared, We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. First we have a parting of the Red Sea, and now this next generation has the parting, the drying up of the raging Jordan River. God wants us to remember his miracles, the miracles he's done for us. I firmly believe God delights in doing what man considers impossible. Just, you know, it's just his little way of saying, hey, man can't do this, but I can. When we anoint with oil, and we do, and pray for the sick or pray for other needs in a life, I will usually add a little phrase, Lord, we will be careful to remember and give you thanks for the answer of prayer. And God wants us to do that. God wants us to remember. When Jesus cleansed the ten lepers, only one returned to give thanks. And that one that returned to give thanks was a Samaritan. One cleansed leper out of ten mindful enough to remember and give thanks to Jesus. Jesus acknowledges that. When I was a young man, the church I attended had every Sunday evening what they called 
testimony meetings. You ever been in a testimony meeting? And people would stand up and they would uh, give testimony how God worked on their behalf through a great healing or perhaps some miraculous uh, provision of some sort. And unfortunately, these testimony meetings would sometimes become, can you top my story? First guy up didn't have a chance. (laughs) But our Lord desires that we remember. He wants us to remember. He wants to remember that he's healed us. He wants to remember how he's provided for us. And each tribe of Israel sets up a stone to glorify God in remembrance. For us to remember God's great works in our lives, it pleases our God. And each and every one of us have a marker. We have a a stone of remembrance. And all we have to do is think back. And that's a good thing to do. Think back of God's provision in your life. But let's continue reading the chapter. We'll read verses 9 through 24. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses commanded, Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people." And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, and as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry ground, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let the children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed over. That all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord for your God forever. Twelve stones are carried and they're there on the shore and they're for the whole world to see. 
But how about the 12 stones in the middle of the riverbed, now covered with water? Well, I think there's a symbolic meaning there. As Christians, we have basically two ordinances that I think all Christian faiths observe. You have water baptism, an open display of spiritual of a spiritual inward happening between you and the Lord. And second, we partake of communion, a special private time on a personal level between us and God. The stones that are in the middle of the Jordan, I think, represents this out-of-sight special time that each believer has with God, a time of personal fellowship with God. The priests, they remained there in the Jordan as the people crossed over. And once everyone had crossed, the priests also crossed. And the Lord has spoken to Joshua. Tell the priests to come up out of the riverbed. And when the priests came up out of the riverbed, the waters returned once again raging. Consider now that the water has been dammed up seven miles upstream at an area known as Adam. And it now reaches the priest at the precise time that they step out of the riverbed. It's a testimony of God's perfect timing. How long did this water take to get down to where they crossed? I don't know. It depends on how fast it was flowing. But we have the Lord and his timings being perfect there as Israel crosses the Jordan. And we have the Lord also magnifying Joshua. And the people now fear Joshua just like they feared Moses. And we have a, a pattern here that needs to be mentioned. God spoke and commanded Moses. And he led Israel over 40 years. And now God speaks and commands Joshua. God is choosing to speak to one man, and that one man is to relay God's desires and commands to all the people. God commands Joshua, he commands the priest, and he and the people. I believe the strength of any church or any movement lies within its leader being attentive and listening to God. Calvary Chapel was fortunate to have Chuck Smith as our founder and leader for many years. What a blessing Chuck was to the Calvary Chapels. As a pastor, I want to be listening to God, and I want to relay his word to you in a careful manner. As husbands, as head of our homes, God desires to speak and instruct us men. And yes, sometimes he will speak through our wives to us. <laughs> Our job is to be listening. We want to be hearing God.
God made it very clear to me when I was considering where to locate and attempt to start a new Calvary Chapel fellowship. God used my mother to speak to me, whom I was accustomed to ignoring. And he said to me, I'm trying to talk to you through your mother. And that was very humbling at the time. But very clearly, God spoke to me by my mom. As men, we have an obligation to hear God however he desires to speak to us. We must be listening to God. Moses heard God speak from a burning bush, that bush that refused to be consumed out in the wilderness. Balaam had his donkey not only speak to him, but to chastise him. One fellow I know from Florida was behind a car, and the license plate spoke to him. He was praying about whether he should move north or not, and the license plate just said, just go. (laughs) Good enough. (laughs) I can live with that. Gideon, remember Gideon? He had fleeces, wet sheepskins, dry sheepskins. But God was clearly speaking to Gideon through the sheepskins. Many times in my morning devotions, I will pray, God, use me today for your kingdom. Well, that happened this week. God can even use us on the golf course. Just this week, I'm out golfing. And I had a friend had received word via uh, his cell phone that his friend was just in a terrible wreck. He had been hit by a semi-truck in his pickup truck, and he was thrown from the vehicle. He was not wearing his seatbelt. But the extent of his injuries were unknown. My friend sought me out. He was playing in a different foursome, and he came over and he found me. And he says, Don, can we pray? And I said, sure. He kneels down right next to the golf cart, and we, we pray for his friend. And we pray that God will protect him and the family and to what extent his injuries. You know, and, and we're just pl- praying a prayer. Well, it come to find out that uh, this fellow's name was Mark, and he was metaflighted down to uh, up to Huntsville Hospital, and he had cuts and he had lacerations and he had stitches and bruises, but he did not have one broken bone, and he went out the driver's window. And his truck careened down the road and hit another vehicle, and there were injuries in that vehicle. But God wanted to do a great thing for Mark. And for God to use me and my friends' prayers, plus there was a lot of other people praying, I'm simply glad that God allowed me to be part of what he was doing. And God will speak to us many times in different ways. And sometimes it's right in the middle of a tragedy. 
And we remember those because God intervenes. So when we pray and ask God to use us, God hears that prayer. It's great to be used of God. So when you pray that prayer, use me, God, expect to be used of God. God's message to Israel and all the multitude, I, God, have dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed. The same way God had dried up the Red Sea for Israel to cross and leave Egypt. Now, when God does these miraculous things in our lives, I don't journal, but I think I probably should journal. <laughs> you know, because we forget. Uh, just write down God's faithfulness to us, the times God has answered prayer, the times God has shown himself strong. The mothers and the fathers in Israel are to share with their children what these pile of stones mean. They're piled up there on the bank. And we as Christians, parents, we have a trusted duty. And we are to share with our children the great works of God. By simply sharing God's works and his words, it can have a life-changing effect on those who hear them. In John chapter 4, turn there. Jesus has left Judea, and we hear Jesus say, I need to go through Samaria. So, John 4, we'll start in verse 4 and go through 26, so... Follow with me. But he needed to go through Samaria, speaking of Jesus. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the waters that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, 
Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not, now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Jesus initiates this conversation it was very highly rare that a Jewish man would talk to a Samaritan, especially a Samaritan woman. This is not lost on the woman. She challenges Jesus with a question. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, inferring that she is a Samaritan and she is being catty? She's being a little sassy with Jesus until Jesus puts his finger on her sin. You have had five husbands, and you're now living in adultery. Hello. <laughs> her response, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> then Jesus speaks of worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. And then we have the woman giving her last thought, playing her last card. I know Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus answers her and says, I who speak to you am he. I am Messiah, lady. The woman leaves and she goes back to her city. And in verse 29, it kind of encapsulates all that went on. And she tells her fellow Samaritans, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? This woman sharing a conversation with Jesus with her fellow Samaritans. The results... Many of them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because of this woman's testimony. We're not all eloquent speakers, but we all can testify of Jesus and the mighty works he has done in our lives. The only mighty work Jesus did for the Samaritan woman was 
He told her who he was. No miracles. We don't even have recorded that she gave him a drink. You know, she just goes back to her village. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But all Jesus did was tell her who he was. And that was enough for this woman and her city and many come to a saving knowledge of Jesus simply because she spoke of who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. Never underestimate the power of a word of testimony. Let's pray. Father God, we don't want to be pushy. We don't want to be offensive about sharing you with others, but we sure want to share, Lord. The world is in need of you, Jesus. The world is in need of Messiah. So, Lord, let that be on our lips. Let that be in our thoughts. And Lord, when you give us opportunity to share or perhaps pray for a person, let us not shy away from it. Let us embrace that opportunity. Let us be disciples of you, Jesus, proclaiming your goodness. You alone, Lord Jesus, have the answers for our society, for our world, and let us, your people, be quick to share that good news. Help us to do that, Lord. And we pray and we ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen.